Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to El Cafecito. Uh, once again, I am your host for this fourth season, Guillermo Baturi, and I'm alongside my co-hosts, Raquel Serrano and Jose Alfredo Jimenez. This is the second part of the environmental disasters episode that we started discussing last week. So if you haven't heard part one, please uh, scroll back in your feed and listen to part one part one was awesome we discussed uh, an oil spill oil spills in both peru and ecuador and now for part two we will be focusing on brazil uh we are once more joined by two very special guests andrea and anna who are uh going to help us with this discussion so uh once again because the episode was so long it has been divided into two halves so that's why we don't have our normal introduction and we will get straight to the topic so i'll give it to gilly from the past to begin the second part of the environmental disasters episode with that uh, i think it's time that we move on to the last uh case study of the episode which is the brazilian case of, of well not only deforestation in the amazon but of the mariana and brumadinho's dams that collapsed in uh in the late 2010s um, so i'll pass it on to tuana to tell us a little bit about that yes thank you uh i'm actually writing a paper on those two case studies so uh, i'll try to limit what i have to say but essentially Mariana was the largest environmental disaster in Brazilian history. Uh, a dam collapsed, a mining tailings dam collapsed and basically killed two rivers with the spill of toxic material. And then three years later, the same company had another dam collapse. And this time the collapse actually killed almost 270 people. So recently they settled an agreement of reparation with the affected victims. Um, but the agreement was actually made between the company and the state. And in the end, the victims were barely consulted and they barely got enough money to cover the estimated damage of 54 billion reais. The total value of the agreement was like 37 billion but a lot of it went into infrastructure improvements in the whole state. So part of the money went to building a road in the capital for facilitating mining traffic, like trucks for mining companies. And a part of the money actually went to the hometown of the attorney general of the state to build a bridge in his hometown, which had I think 200,000 people living in, but his hometown is actually 600 kilometers away from the site that was affected by the disaster. So it's just so in the face how much they don't care about the victims. And it's all su such a, an electoral, you know, politics going to it. Um, but other than that, you know, which is this spectacular form of contamination, I guess. There are several dams that are unstable throughout Brazil. And one thing that Jose mentioned that I thought was really, really concerning is the heavy rings causing the oil spill. 
because that's something I've been really paying attention to. We had really heavy rain throughout Brazil. It started in Bahia, then went to Minas, now in Sao Paulo. And it's really catastrophic rain that caused a lot of flooding and damage. And it's part of the climate crisis we're going through. And I think we sometimes overlook the impact that this has on critical infrastructure that's already unstable, like mining dams. And we currently have like 156 mining dams throughout Brazil that are critically unstable. And that's, you know, it's terrifying. And if it's going to be dealt with the same way it has been dealt with in Mariana and Brumadinho, which was the other disaster, then the people affected by it won't get nearly enough to recover. And we also, we don't have those disasters occurring in the Amazon, but we have other <laughs> crises in the Amazon as well. In Brazil, we have mercury spills by illegal miners mining gold in the Amazon. And we just recently recorded record deforestation for the month of January, which is really concerning because that's when it usually is the lowest because of the heavy rains. Um, so yeah, sorry for the very gloomy update on Brazil. Um, I recommend everyone go watch Encanto, the Pixar movie, to get a little bit of a serotonin <laughs> boost. <laughs> no, Anna, I think that thank you very much for that. And I just want to, there's even more gloomy, gloominess to come about that. Um, I just want to quickly uh, talk about the, the, a bit more about Maria and Brumadinho. So when the dam of, of Mariana collapsed, there were the, the Rio Doce, or literally translate, can translate to Sweet River, which is one of the most important rivers in the Southeast of Brazil, was, uh, Killed. That's the term the scientists use. The river was killed because the amount of heavy metal poisoning uh, made the river not be able to sustain life. I think it's for, I think it was at least 15 years if there was a massive cleaning effort, which has, of course, not happened in the slightest. Uh, the nearby city of Governador Valadares, which is one of the largest cities of the state, of course, after the capital city of Belo Horizonte, had its water supply completely cut off for weeks. And the Southern Atlantic was also quite impacted and is still feeling the effects of that to this day. Purmajinho, uh, on the other hand, as it, the environmental disaster wasn't as massive, but the human tragedy was way worse. If Mariana cost the life of 19 people, over 270 Brazilians lost their lives at Purmajinho due to the company that operated the dam, Vale, being negligent time and time again with their assets. And as Anna said, they effectively got away with it twice, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And uh, just to build on what you were saying, Anna, about the Amazon, there was actually a new report coming out today by the Instituto de Pesquisa Ambiental da Amazonia, so that's the Environmental Institute of Amazon Research, that points that between 2019 to 2021, so that's the Bolsonaro's administration, over 32,000 kilometers of the Amazon have been leveled to the ground, which is equivalent of around 21 times the city of Sao Paulo, which is the largest city in South America. So that's also completely heartbreaking, just because it had the, 
it's clear that in both of these cases, it didn't have to happen. It was so preventable. Both the dams and the Amazon deforestation, it's all a matter of legislation. But Bolsonaro, much like Jitlubi Vargas, much like every right-wing president in the history of this country, actually incentivizes the destruction of the rainforest. Anna, please go ahead. Uh, I actually wanted to comment on how preventable it was. I actually heard a theory from a few of the locals in, I think it was Brumadino or a nearby place, that Valley actually wanted the dam to, to overflow and destroy the city because they were trying to purchase the real estate in the city to turn it into another dam, but the locals refused to sell. So, you know, they ignored a report by a consultancy firm that said the dam was unstable and they just waited for it to happen to build the infrastructure they wanted to build originally now without having to buy the land and i have to do more research into it but it sounds very plausible which is really infuriating especially because it is theft um even if they if just because the land was level doesn't mean the land stops being owned by the people who owns them so even if that is true it is not only despicable morally in a human in a human rights violation but it's also uh, a petty crime of land theft um but yeah i think that is the the facts and i'm wondering if any of you guys have any any questions to me or to anna especially to anna about this whole situation in minas gerais and <clears throat> the amazon rainforest i i mean i would add one comment i i mean as anna has said this is such a horrible situation that we have seen so for so many years and now having a a, a president that continuously uh, perpetuate deforestation, uh, erasure of indigenous communities. Uh, actually, just yesterday, uh, Peru's president and Bolsonaro had a great meeting together, uh, very happy in a, in a picture, uh, which I, I just feel it, 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 in a picture, it resembled how when you go extremes in politics, um, uh, we have seen in our region that nature is completely disguised, even if it comes from the right or even if it comes from the left in a, a, a lot of situations. So, I mean, you as um, people who have, I mean, Anna, I know you do a lot of research in these topics and, and Guilla, I know that you are also involved in everything that's been happening. And um, is there any hope of change that you feel like you can see in the future? I mean, it, it feels that we just need to continue uh, going, to continue accepting this is gonna happen and maybe civil society be the one taking charge of, of of the violent things that are happening, which I don't think is completely fair. But I mean, I don't know, I would love to hear your thoughts on if, if there's any hope within either in Brazil or in our region, I don't know. Such an important question. Um, okay, let me see. I'm sort of what I call, quote unquote, a baby researcher. I know a lot of great people have been working on this for decades now, and I I'm looking to them to find hope, but so far it just seems, okay, I'm going to be to call me again, but it just seems such an imperative and capitalism that we need to keep exploiting and we need to keep meeting the market demand. Like, especially with mining, they have to get ahead because the projects have a limited 
lifespan and they need to meet the market boom for the materials that they are exploiting. So they're very risk tolerant, like they don't care if something collapses because they need to extract as much as possible as they can to make the profit in this short window when what they are selling is valuable. It's like the hot stuff of the moment. Uh, so yeah, definitely capitalism not going to help. Um, but I think civil society does have an important role to play, like just shifting, I guess, collective perceptions or imaginations. Like so many things that used to be acceptable are no longer acceptable as a society. Um, a very dumb example that's not directly related, but people used to smoke in airplanes and restaurants, and now that's unacceptable and it's just, you know, prohibited everywhere. And of course, this sort of change takes years and a lot of effort, but I think there's hope that we can make it happen. And it might, it might be that, you know, someone else will end up profiting from it, but we just got to keep trying. Like we can't give up. That's my point. Like I'm a very um, grounded optimist. Like, I don't know if our efforts will make a difference, but if we don't make an effort, that's for sure not going to make a difference. Yeah, no, I agree with that entirely. I just think that in the short term, there's very little there's very little reason for hope, although Bolsonaro is probably going to be ousted from office in a couple of months. Um, I've said this hundreds of times in this podcast, and I'll say again, my biggest criticism to Lula is not preparing a new generation of 20 real 21st century uh, left-wing leaders to take on the mantle. The old man, despite all his achievements, is still stuck in the early 2000s, 1990s mindset, and he's not ready to lead Brazil, the left in Brazil, in, into a into yeah 21st century in which he needs to fight for much more than just um than just uh, okay i'm not saying this isn't important but it can't just be i'm going to make sure every brazilian has food of course that's incredibly important but it can't be all anymore that just can't be it we are in a, the most difficult period in the world's history since the end of the second world war there needs to be transformative change everywhere and i don't think lula is going to be that politician um, yeah, that's another thing. Like, we cannot lower the bar just because Bolsonaro was such a bad president. Like, as soon as the next president steps into office, we need to keep up the momentum of pressure, of being vigilante, I guess, of the measures they're taking. Um, I, I'm really curious to see what is going to be reversed from Bolsonaro's takes on the environment because it would be very convenient if they just left it in place and didn't change anything and then they can blame Bolsonaro for it, you know? I, I yeah, think that sure. also sure. the importance of not just individual actions, uh, but also the collective actions. And that involves how like the, the representatives that we elect um, I think it's not just in the case of Brazil and the possible election of Lula, uh, but also just like knowing the policies and the the uh, projects that other candidates have. We have important elections this year in Latin America. And even if we don't have elections, I mean, 
less is going to stay here for like three other years, but how can we hold um, our governments accountable? How can we actually ensure that nature rights are actually respected? How can we ensure that indigenous people have access to, like can enjoy their rights and they have a say and, and in these very um, uh, important uh, extractive projects that are taking place in Latin America? Uh, I think we also see the, a common theme across these three cases is the prioritization of the economy over, over nature. Nature is seen as a commodity. Uh, we see these areas that are okay to be given up if, if the economy grows. And another term that I just wanted to bring up is the idea of assimilative capacity. And it's the idea where like the, it's a, the capacity that it's okay to pollute or the, the amount of pollution or the pollutant that it's okay to be discharged in an area without causing too many effects. And I think like we've seen over and over with these different uh, oil spills, with these different um, environmental uh, activities, the like harmful environmental activities are taking place, how these, we are getting to a point where we are crossing a line that it's gonna be hard to come back from. Um, as we see the different effects of climate change in terms of, of the, the heavy rains, uh, landslides, um, erosion and so on, there's more likely to, to have the more oil spills are likely to, to happen. So how can we prevent these, um, not only these extractive activities to take place, but how can we um, acts with a more preventive uh, point of view. And I think that's just going to require all of us, like students, people in academia, uh, general citizens, uh, representatives, politicians to, to take place and to also think about the how our systems, especially this capitalist system that we live, how extractive it is, how polluting it is, and how, um, what I guess, what direction we want our countries to, to go and our economies to rely on. That's a lot, a lot to unpack. And I think that's just the, the answer to that question is gonna be very, very hard. But I think that's just my my idea of how to be hopeful that as land defenders have, have proven, there's a way to resist. There's a way to ask, uh, for us to find inspiration on the many um, activities that indigenous activists and other land defenders are, are doing. And also important to note that they should not be the only ones protecting the environment. Um, they should not be the only ones protecting our water sources that we re that we also rely on. The they should not be the only ones protecting the Amazon that we so much uh, promote and so much that, that that we are so so proud of. And we all need to take um, we're all accountable to some extent. Absolutely, Raquel, I couldn't agree more. I think that's absolutely right. And just to end the podcast, because it is already 50, I think we're 54 minutes in, but that's totally okay when we have such great guests that we did today. We, there's no problem with me going a bit learning longer. Um, but just to end, I think that the, the key word in to, to, so I guess, summarize everything, we need to have a sense of indignation because we don't need this. Latin America does not need this. We do not need... We, this doesn't have to happen. The dams don't have to collapse. The oil doesn't have to spill. 
This is all choices that we make. And it's time for a new generation of leaders to lead us into a future, a 21st century, where they're fighting not just to put food on people's tables, but to, to fight for, for transformative change against climate change, to fight for women's rights for abortion, to fight for LGBTQ plus rights. There's so much to be done and we can't allow the things to continue how they are. If a couple of bloody truckers can stop the Canada's capital for a week, so can we. And with that, um, I'd like to end unless anyone else has a comment. Yeah, we should get some trucks. <laughs> If they can do it for a terrible, misleading and cynical cause, we can do it for a rightful cause. Yeah, so with that, I think we'll end the, this episode of Environmental Disasters of El Capecito. Ana, Andrea, one more time, thank you so much for being here. Your contributions as always awesome and you're always welcome to come back whenever you want the doors are always open this is your home as well uh thank you very much Raquel and Jose Alfredo as always un abrazo a todos y chao